Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is going to apply to be part of the new Reserve Bank Interest Rate Board. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is Andrew Page, who, as we all know by now, is the founder, the managing director, the chief cook and bottle washer. He's the bloke who makes the decisions, who makes straw man what it is. How are you, mate? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you? Excellent. Very, very well. I'm having a good week this week. It's uh, plenty going on. Lots to talk about, which is always fun. Yeah, lots to talk about. Um, you, know, I, you, you know, I have a question for you first though, right? Uh, <laughs> just for a second there. Uh, private Online Investment Club. Oh, I was going to ask you. Are you oh, weak <laughs> Move on. I was, I was accused on Twitter of torturing you with that question. Well, I think, I think that's fair. Think, I think that's fair. Oh, come on. You don't, you don't, you don't hate it half as much as you, th- as you pretend uh, to. Uh, some, some things age better than others, you know. <laughs> Fair, fair, mate. Uh, let's move on. It is, I think it's almost it's almost done. It's done. It's dash, uh, so. but maybe not yet. We'll see, mate. Um, a massive week, massive week on on kind of macroy kind of markets. Right, so much going on. We've seen uh, Reserve Bank uh, inflation around the world coming up to a federal government budget. There is lots going on, and it kind of feels a bit. I don't know. Seismic's too strong a word. It's nothing that that significant, but. It feels like there's a lot of, you know, after, after government's kind of doing not much, letting things slide for quite a while, it does strike me that, that stuff's going on. So let's let's start with with the around the world bit of this. UK inflation, 10.1%. Mm. I, <laughs> I don't know, mate. If that doesn't, if that doesn't put the frighteners up, up the RBA and the Australian government, they're not paying attention, surely. Yeah, it's such a huge number. I mean... It, it goes to show you how quick narratives can change too because, you know, yeah. supposedly we we're all past the peak and it was all on its way back to normal and not so much. And obviously mm-hmm. the market's reacted in the way it has because it means that um, or more likely that rates are going to be higher for longer or mm-hmm. not going to roll over perhaps as quick as everyone was expecting. So, yeah, I mean, 10% is just insanely high. I mean, it's really hard to wrap your head around the significance of that. It's it's where in five years is not a long amount of time. And at 10% annually, you've lost well over half your purchasing power. You know, it's, yeah, it's know, that right? extreme. It's that and extreme. I, think, you know, I, I reckon this is – so rates and inflation are fascinating to me because yeah. this is human nature writ large. You know, and, and there's so many – we'll talk about Phil Lowe in a minute too because that's part of this. But – just think about inflation and rates. There is a sense that if someone puts up rates, they're doing a thing to me. And that's bad, and I'm annoyed, and I could stop it. If inflation goes up 10% a year, well, price will kind of go up. That's kind of bad, but maybe they won't keep going up, but maybe it'll be okay. Mm. I, I still, I, I mean, talk, we talk about this every week. I talk about it on radio and TV really regularly. I write about it regularly. I still have not any significant confidence that most people really understand how deeply, deeply, deeply insidious inflation is. I mean, yeah. we say you lose half your purchasing power, go, oh, fine, whatever. If I said to someone, you will have your pay cut by 50%, they'd be up in arms. Yes. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. I, I, and I don't, I've got to find a better way to communicate it probably because I, I, I don't, I just don't sense there's any significant fear, is probably the wrong word, but not by much, about how bad this could be. Yeah, it's it's so slow and it's not perceptible day to day type thing. Um, mm. So it is it's it's super insidious. Um, and again, you can take a cynical angle with it, right? Like it's right. kind of it's 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 not a bad thing if you've got a if you've got a decent amount of capital, reliable income streams, 
and mm-hmm. let's and the big one a, a, a large amount of debt inflation is fantastic <laughs> right yeah. that debt just gets in, in inflated away and we are oh, sort of yeah, now at this part of the debt dalio's sort of debt super cycle where mm-hmm. the debt's mm-hmm. all been kicked mm-hmm. up to the sovereign levels there's nowhere to sort of kick it <laughs> anymore and you know again yeah. i'm not i'm not i'm not trying to put the tinfoil hat on again but i, I think it's <laughs> i think it's a reasonable statement to make that it, it is what it is and yeah. and it's not. I don't think that the powers that be would mind a little bit of a bit of uh, above normal in inflation. Now, ten percent—that's way too high. That's noticeable. That's very sort of perceptible. But well, particularly uh, compounded, right? Like it's not just one off. It's like ten percent over a couple of years or three years, four years, as you say. Like the only thing about compounding is not just five times ten is fifty. It's like yeah. you know we know compounding ten percent. Th- that that means the prices double every seven years. It halves like, in seven know, years in this right. In this exactly. Instance. Yes. Yeah. In, in the reverse case, that's right. Yeah, the pushing yeah. power. It is. It is remarkable. I'm um, I'm curious as to. Uh, so I get the I get the inflation inflates away debt thing. Two two challenges I have with it though. Maybe this is just political cynicism. Maybe it's not. First one is not the political angle, which is that only works as long as your ability to service that debt also increases at that inflation rate. If you have inflation go up, but your wages or company profits or government revenues, whatever whatever number you're using to to kind of calculate it, if they don't go up as quickly as, as inflation, you still not, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. De- yeah. in nominal That's dollars, still, you're still better off, but there is yes. still a, there's still a catch up. The other one for me- Can I just that, add on, just add on, on to that though, that what, yeah. what kind of protects you if you're in the right situation is that you also see asset values go up. I mean, yeah. it's kind of the yeah. definition of inflation, right? Like yeah. value yeah. is seeking a store somewhere. And it, it, yeah. in periods of high inflation, you gravitate to the, the thing that's most scarce, desirable property, high quality stocks, these kinds of things. Even if the, sort of the economic return mm. calculation mm. isn't fantastic, mm. you know that you're going to preserve that purchasing power better in those kinds of, in those kinds of vehicles. And, that's, mm. that is not, and that is sort of like the... You know the top percent of of society that gets to sort of do that. So you're right, mm. you're right. But again, I'm I'm not talking about the the fiery or or the tradie yeah. or something. I'm I'm talking about the big business or right. You know right. The, the the sovereigns where it, it's sort of like that. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but that's not an issue for us because. Yeah. Uh, in fact, what it actually does is it 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 gradually but surely transfers wealth, real wealth, over time and increases the division of of wealth in society. It's it's, it's a horrible thing. I think that's I think that's right. I think I think I kind of agree because of the, my second point was going to be that and maybe this is political cynicism, the sovereign isn't really separate to us. I mean I mean mathematic like literally it is separate, I guess. But at the end of the day, we all carry the can, right? The the Australian people are effectively responsible for, impacted by, can't divorce ourselves from, short of going overseas, the Australian government debt. So you know, public and private, it's almost an artificial difference now. The way that debt is paid, who gets taxed, who gets spent yeah. on it is not a one-for-one relationship. It, if I, my debt goes away and the government takes on some debt, maybe I end up with a dollar ten of debt. Maybe I end up with ninety cents of debt in a relative sense, or you know, get some benefit. Um, but it's it, it's pretty politically cynical at some level to that to that extent, where you know you, you cause you cause pain on the people who are responsible for that debt, albeit it's in the name of the government. That that doesn't go away, right? In in the worst case scenarios, if the government defaults. The government defaults, but the rest of us have meaningfully lower and probably permanently lower standards of living because the dollar gets stuffed and, you know, the stuff that goes with that. 100%. Well, that's the, that's the thing. The, the government won't default. It can't default. I mean, because mm. you can just print money up, right? So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. guaranteed. So the nominal debt will always be paid back. But you're exactly- At least, at least that, that's in Australian dollars. But you can default, I suppose, on US dollar. Absolutely. That's true. That's, that's true. Yeah. 
Yep. But don't. But your point is still absolutely correct because the 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 the, the piper is paid through yeah. higher inflation, yes. and where it, and 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 it's the cancel on effect, right? Where it's it's mm-hmm. the the there are more advantageous positions to be in within society where this this cost that we bear in inflation again, it's just not spread evenly. Those mm-hmm. the, those that I, I I guess who are sort of the actual workers in the economy <laughs> doing real things, <laughs> making real uh, goods and providing real real services tend to just to do uh, much, much worse out of that scenario. So it's not an, it's not an even pain. And that's, that's correct, the point correct. I'm trying to make. Yeah, which is like rates themselves, right? We've talked about that in the, in the past as well. The, the way we deal with some of these things is never even because the tools that we choose to use or maybe are left to use because we choose not to use other tools yeah. do absolutely confer pain on, on certain parts of society in certain ways. Tax is the same, by the way. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's not about rates or not rates or whatever, but these are decisions made, you know, and, and, and no decision is a decision, right? When you let yeah. something happen, that's a decision. Yeah. Um, and so you're right, the, the, the share of the pain is, is important. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really stark. I mean, you think about the hypothetical. You're, you're worth $10 million. You've got three different investment properties. They're all kind of, of paid off. Now, we go into a high inflation environment. Does that suck for you? Yeah, it sucks for you, but it doesn't suck nearly to the same extent as everyone else. As I said, your asset values in an inflationary environment probably will rise. And so it, not in real terms as much, but in yes, nominal yes. terms at least. Yes. And and so does the rent increase with all we're seeing it right now. It's exactly what's mm. what what's sort of happening. And so yep. it's it's forget about the numbers that we're using. Your relative your relative share of society's money is is increasing for you. Even though you are feeling the pain of inflation, it's a relative game and, and that value is being transferred to you. You don't have to be Gina Reinhardt or a Twiggy Forrest to sort of be well above all of this kind of stuff. But it just, that top 20, 30%, it just, it, it widens the gap. It causes bigger social problems. It, it's a really, you know, it, it's something that I think I'm, I'm passionate about because, Yes, it's all about keeping the economy stable and all the stuff that gets talked about, but the economy mm-hmm. is just us. It is there to serve society yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. to make sure. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I think we forget sort of the basics that are here. Absolutely. And just so much of the narrative, so much of the solutions that get talked, they sort of, even if you want to be generous and say they quote unquote work at an aggregate level, they're not working from the vantage point of, of a very significant number of people. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And you know, it's the weird thing. It shouldn't be weird. I guess that's the problem, right? We've 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 come to see. It's weird for us, right? We, I mean, you know, we, we get painted as sometimes. I, I every now and again to us, someone talks about my politics as if my politics is is political, and it's kind of like I, I said even this morning, literally this morning, I was tweeting saying I don't have I don't have politics. I have policy views. I don't have politics, right? And so I don't, you know, politics assumes, um, at least in the current usage, a party and a, and a perspective and an ideology and a whatever that is somehow mm-hmm. aligned and unbreakable and and one or the other yeah you know and and it's it, it feels weird to in me for a penny in for a pound i'm right? i'm team blue or i'm team red <laughs> well that's what i was gonna say it seems weird to me that that what so, as you're talking i'm going to agree with you but what i want to say is that makes us look like left-wing something and that's not necessarily good or bad but it it, it kind of consigns to a political party you know i'm going to say i've said many times 
The economy is there to serve the society, not the other way around. Yeah. Right. That shouldn't. Be, that shouldn't it's be. It's not a political like statement. That's, no. It's not, it's not, it shouldn't even be controversial. It should be yeah. literally <coughs> straight up. This is what it's for. And if you if well, you to extend that, to sorry, mate, to extend that, that's okay. not to say that those you know that um, entrepreneurs and people who take risk and shouldn't enjoy the spoils of success and the benefits mm. of capitalism. Mm. So it's mm. yeah, absolutely. You can you can have two what seem opposing thoughts in your head at the same right. time. It's it's exactly. just it's exactly. just about having a playing field that is fair. That's what you want. There's no problem with someone taking risk and working hard and, and achieving success. That's fine. No one's, I don't think anyone's got a problem. Well, I don't have a problem with that. Well, but- that's, what, that's what I mean that people do. Like it's, it, it's painted as some left-wing communist whatever, whatever, as opposed to actually the economy is a structure or not a single structure. It's a series of you know interrelationships and whatever's designed to make things easier and more prosperous yeah. for the society like that's it, it's the term we use to describe the way we've chosen to deal with each other yeah and those things are completely changeable variable there's nothing about you know the fact with what we've got now what we could have what we don't have that that is absolute it's just this is what we've come to and it shouldn't be unreasonable to say that you know the the thing we call the economy is just those relationships that allow us to hopefully be more prosperous and the question as to whether they're working and how that prosperity is shared it should be an open question it's absolutely 100 percent right and it's it, it's it's you've got to go beyond the, the high level talking points so it's mm-hmm. it's I, I think it probably is confusing to, in, in to hear in a lot of ways because one one sort of uh take on this that we're taking is there's a real social mm-hmm. dimension to it and at the yeah. same time it's a finance podcast we're big capitalists and right, investors and exactly. but it's you know yeah. there's there's there, there is there mm-hmm. is a lot of gray and there's a lot of subtlety across the board here and i think it's in all cases not just finance and investing but going back to yeah. first principles is really really important um, that's, and that's my starting point. Uh, the status quo effect is so dramatically, why should I pay more tax than I am now? Or why should I get more money than I am now? Yes. It, it, it's, it's completely the wrong lens. It is entirely the wrong lens. One of the, it didn't really catch on. One of the great, interesting kind of changes in, in business for a while, oh, a decade or so ago, was what they used zero-based budgeting. So if you yes. work for a corporate for any length of time, someone says, well, we spent you know, 100 grand on travel last year. You can have 5% increase in your budget. Or we spent this much on staff, you know, this much, or you know, this much on servers, or this much on marketing. Um, so you can have more or less depending on what's going on. Zero-based budgeting just says, now make your case. Yeah. Tell me why you need hundred grand for travel. Just because you had it last year doesn't mean that was the right amount of money. Maybe you did twice as much. Maybe you did half as much. Yep. Let's have the conversation. Three uh, yep. G Capital, one of Buffett's uh, one-time partners at, um, at Kraft Heinz and other places, um, do exactly that. And and it's mm. it's a bit brutal on one level. But it avoids that status quo effect. Your point about first principles is absolutely spot on. How yeah. much should we spend and where and why? And some people will end up with more, some people end up with less. That's not a bug. That's a feature. That's, that's a good that's thing. The point of first that's a good. Right, exactly. I mean, if I sit on my ass all day and I've and I've got perfect capacity to work mm-hmm. and choose not mm-hmm. to, that's fine. Yeah. But there's consequences to that choice. Yes. That's, that, that, that's all you're saying, right? Yes, correct, correct. Anyway, I don't know how we got there. Inflation. Oh, can I can I segue? Oh, please. Yeah, can I sure. can I segue because what you were talking about there leads very nicely into this review of the Reserve Bank that uh, oh, uh, Treasurer yes, Chalmers has done. And just we were talking a bit before. I read some stuff in the AFR this morning, and I've got to say, my mind was a little bit blown here. You you, you talk mm-hmm. about just the reluctance to change and things just the status quo and things being accepted i'm just going to read out it you you're probably just going to go yeah didn't you know that but but i I was shocked (laughs) i was shocked by this um uh the first one was that inflation target Mm. as a mandate was not established Mm. for the rba until the early 1990s bernie fraser argued for it back in the day 
Yep. Now, I knew that central banking as a, in the grand arc of history is actually a relatively yeah. new invention. I actually yeah. thought yeah. that inflation targeting had been around since the 50s or something mm. like that. Mm. So prior to that, it was more about this uh, more loosely defined defined thing called aggregate demand mm-hmm. and, it was, and, and central banks more being about a lender of last resort to add stability mm-hmm. to the financial system in case there's any sort of liquidity issues or, God forbid, solvency issues amongst the, the, the commercial banking sector. Yeah. And back then, fiscal policy, as we've long argued, was, was seen as a much more important lever. Yes. So that thing – so we'll, get, we'll come around to what – what, can, I, um, can I go back half a step further? Just, yes, just yes. really quickly, because we're doing economic history. So I just want to start with up until the Great Depression, budgets were balanced every year, and effectively up until 1918 or so, there were no central banks. So let, let's go to 1900. 1900, you took in 100 pounds, you paid 100 pounds in a given year. That's what you did. Because you didn't have anywhere else to get the money un- right. unless by issuing and, and government was- bonds, but you had like, you know, investors, the market's pretty rational, right? So correct, they, correct. They, it, was, it, was, it was a free market rate of, of uh, cost yeah. of capital. And the only time those bonds were issued were generally in times of war when government said, okay, well, now everything's gone to hell. You're going to have to stump up some money so we don't get invaded by the insert, war bonds. You know, the Huns or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> whatever and once right. you take so, over the country and win the war, you get, you get paid right. back. Paid off with the gold and we're good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's kind of what happens. Then, then 1915-ish, 18-ish, 20-ish, central banks kind of pop up. And then after the Great Depression, the idea of what we call Keynesian economics, and I'm not going to get boring and technical, but you'll hear the term, so it's worth knowing. We've mentioned it before. But Keynesian economics starts where it's actually, it's a good thing for the government to run a counter-cyclical budget, to add some money to, to borrow, to prop up the economy, or help prop up the economy when things are tough, keep people in jobs, keep businesses from folding, smooth out the, 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 the bumps. On the other hand, when things are going too quickly, we know what booms and busts look like. If we can take some of the heat out of the boom, by collecting a bit more money than we spend, that'll that'll slow the economy because it takes money away, kind of puts it away for later, you know, filling up the silo with some grain uh, so that at some future point, we're in a position to be able to then spend that money. And the idea seems quaint now, was kind of prevalent from the, I guess, 30s to about the late 80s, maybe, maybe mid-90s, was that, uh, maybe 2000, governments would run a balanced budget over a cycle. So, you know, spend a bit extra here, take a bit extra there, pay it off, keep things reasonably solid. That was always the assumption. And then moving forward to now, we have a situation where both parties are happy to run ongoing budget deficits. So yep. I just want to set that up, mate, only because I, no, I'm glad you did. monetary policy and how that impacts. The, the, the way the fiscal, you mentioned fiscal policy, that's changed a lot over the last decade or, uh, sorry, century or so. I'm really glad you mentioned, I, mean, I think we touched on it last week as well. And again, this is an, another um, uh, kind of kind of mind blow moment that that these things they're they're pretty arbitrary in how they've sort of been set up and there's a economics is a soft science right there's a bit of theory sort of behind that when you outline that to any reasonable person the keynesian viewpoint i think it sounds reasonable we should do that yep. times are really yep. good lots of money let's save it's like what you would expect a, bud, a household budget to do right that's um, true actually you, times yeah, are really good blows up you, you put some money on the you, you put the money on the credit card to pay, place the fridge yep when time when times improve you, you get an extra bonus you put that aside just in case you, the fridge stuff blows it under time. the mattress right, right. And it makes perfect sense or, yep yeah, but it, it, this is the problem. I mean, the classic analogy here is communism. I mean, communism makes a huge amount of sense as well. It just doesn't work because humans are correct, involved, correct. right? Like that's yes. it's just historical yeah. fact at this point in in time. And this yep. is the thing that we've got with the Keynesian viewpoint. In my view, is like mm-hmm. yes, the theory is sound, but as as we have seen. <laughs> 
we, we never budget, we never bu- balance things out over the cycle. We only spend more. So it's flawed. Yeah. It's absolutely <laughs> flawed that's in its right. execution. That's right. <laughs> we've got to get, we've got to get past it. And the other thing that's mm-hmm. changed as, as well wasn't like the, the governments would, would have a little bit of debt when they needed it and pay it down yeah. and save up when they did. Now central banks have gone another sort of step further, actually right into the money creation game directly. So it, mm-hmm. it sort of, it allows government, it, it permissions government to to do that because even if they can't make up the shortfall through uh government debt they'll just right, right, right. well they, they kind of they issue the government debt then the reserve, reserve, central bank buys it off them so it's sort of this and again that's that's that leads to more money chasing the same amount of goods and services that ultimately leads Correct. to inflation so there's some really there's i would i would it has to by definition just just yeah. just by the way you know andrew and i have slightly different views on on the role of this sort of stuff but it is just basic year eight economics if yeah. you had if you had more money you create more demand you don't create more stuff um so what does it do it pushes up the price of that stuff because there's more money around what why does it do it is, is an open question. So why? Because if you have $100 and I have $100, then we'll bid for, uh, there's not an actual live auction, we'll, we'll bid for the house, right? You and I bid for the house with $100. If all of a sudden you're given an extra 100 I'm given an extra 100 then we both say, well, we'll go and just spend it and buy more stuff. But there's not more houses out there. So do, do you know what it is? Pay, we offer more for the house. Go on. Play, break out your Monopoly board. And yep. instead of the instead of uh, pass go, go collect two hundred dollars, make it a thousand dollars for every player. Right, right, right. The game right. actually doesn't really change that much. I mean, we all bid. I mean, the first price is yeah, you can you can bid things. Everything adjusts mm-hmm. uh, uh, yes, to that's that. Right. Yes, it's yeah. an abstraction. I've got, I've got more money, so I can I can pay more for Park Lane than I was going to, or I can exactly that's exactly what it is. But things exist, right? Yep. Like yep. iPhones, cars, they they exist. Money's completely abstract and made up. <laughs> Right? So yeah. there's one. If one has to bend to the other, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's going to be the money. So anyway, so yeah. I think I think that's with a long run up here. So I think that was really <laughs> interesting. The inflation targeting aspect mm-hmm. and the formal independence of the RBA is only thirty yes. years old. It's such yes, a, that's right. Absolutely. Such a blink of the eyes. Like wow. Okay, I didn't know that. The I'm other gonna, thing. Let me stop you one more quickly. Oh, yeah. When we say formal independence of the Reserve Bank, it's implicit independence con- uh, conferred by the Treasurer of the day. Yes. Because yes. there is nothing that requires yes. the treasurer to observe that convention. Isn't that if amazing? If Treasurer Chambers tomorrow said, actually, Phil, uh, you're now going to put rates up to 4.5%. He can do that. Phil would say either, yes, treasurer, or I resign, treasurer, but there is no third option. He doesn't have the ability to say, no, I'm not going to do that, treasurer. That, that is not – the treasurer will say, fine, Phil, you're out of here. Mm-hmm. I'll replace with somebody else. Thanks for your service. Who will. So who we will say formal agree. independence. Yeah. It's, it's a it, – it is – I mean, I, I don't mean to pick – I just want to, again – Now you're wearing the tinfoil hat. People. <laughs> no, not at all. No, yeah. not at all. I, I'm just making the point to people who, who think no, the ABA fact. can't be touched by the government. It is absolutely – it's only by convention – that the government chooses to allow the RBA to operate independently, and there's a, yeah, and, and again, I would say game theory suggests that it's it's Phil Lowe's under no uh, illusions as to what the government would prefer. I'm sure at any correct, any given correct. point in time, and correct. I'm sure he values his job as well. So and government's all, plural too, by the way. You're, you're under yeah, one, yeah. one, yeah, yeah, you know, not, one side one year, and the other side the other year. He's, he's worked on both governments, so he's you know he's, he's very aware of changing tides, changing winds as well in Canberra. He whose bread I eat, his song I sing, is the saying, <laughs> and uh, it's mm-hmm. a lot of truth in that. So okay, so there was there was that. The, mm. So so Chalmers is basically, although this review has suggested, okay, let's break up uh, uh, the board uh, mm-hmm. into two. In fact, yep. so we'll we'll have one that's more a governance board and one that includes the uh, setting of interest rates. You know, it's really specialising in that. And mm-hmm. it says in the article, it is expected to include experts on economics, labour markets, and financial markets. Mm-hmm. To which I read, 
well, yeah. <laughs> Wait, isn't that the case mm. now? And this is how under the under a rock mm. I've been living, right? So <laughs> we we only we only ever hear about uh, Phil Lowe, right? The governor yeah. of, and he is a he is someone at least formally credentialed in in mm. the dark arts of, of economics. <laughs> so I looked up I looked up the RBA website. And mm. of the seven or eight members or whatever it is, there's at least five that are not economists. You've got mm. the deputy chairman um, of Fortescue Metals. You've got an ex-Macquarie right. banker in there. You've got someone who works at CSL. You've, it's not just one or mm. two. It's sort of like, mm. whoa, I, I can't, I'm embarrassed to sort of admit this on a podcast. <laughs> I assume that they were You're all, at that. least, I mean, they might be badly mm. um, ill-credentialed, but still economists by trade. No, they're not. There's, there's so many like uh, 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 corporate senior executives and board members and stuff on there as well. It just feels like what gives you the expertise? Okay, you've sort of been successful, quote unquote, in business, quote unquote. And it's very different to sort of a small, small and medium enterprise, the kind of businesses that they've been board members of. But it's it it strike. Am I being a little bit crazy here? But I was I was floored by the 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 CVs of people on the board. Yeah, so I'm a bit more nerdy than you are, mate. Um, I I did know that, and uh, and I've thought a bit about it, and I, I will, we'll go back. Actually, we'll go back to what the review, why the review suggests the changes in a second. But mm-hmm. let's stick with stick with your topic for now. I am, I'm not sure, honestly. If you think about people on the board of a public company. Their job is to, we've talked before about what with those people's roles are largely culture and succession, right? There's all CEO appointment, maybe to capital allocation oversight or something. I'm not sure, so there's that. The RBA board is effectively that. And this one of the criticisms of the Reserve Bank board is that they accept the expertise of the econocrats who report to them and tell them what they should do, and the board makes a final call. So while we talk about low, there is a board, but I don't know how frequently the board would say, sorry, Governor, you don't get your way. I, Scott Phillips from the Motley Fool, happens to be on the RBA board, thinks you should put rates down instead of up or whatever it is. So so I think there is an element of, and this goes back to the review, what, the, what is the board for? Is it, is it supervisory or is it decision-making or is it rubber stamping? Uh, those are really, really open questions. Yeah. When so so I, I did know that. Um, what I'm never sure of, mate, and, and you and I work in investing, which is actually a really nice parallel because I would argue the vast vast bulk, maybe not as much anymore, of academic uh, investment theorists get it pretty wrong. So I've got to say I've got a I've got an open question. We think about what the board composition should be. I'll get back to the actual split recommendation in a second. I don't know whether we want a team of economists. And, and if you follow, again, I'm a, I'm a Twitter fiend, as you know, there's two very strong schools of thought on Twitter. And they largely come from exactly who you would expect. The academic economists say, there should be more academic economists on the RBA board. And the business people and business economists say, there should be more real experience on the, on the RBA board. And I'm actually not sure, really not sure, what the role of the board should be relative to the ex, the genuine expertise inside the Reserve Bank in market in Martin Place. Mm. You know, mm. on one level, I think, okay, well, should we have some more economists? Maybe, yeah. But if Phil Lowe and Guy DeBell, oh, Guy has gone now. The other, the other, you know, assistant deputy Reserve Bank governors and the phalanx of appointee heads at Martin Place can't give the board good advice. I'm not sure we need more than that. On the other hand, to your point, 
are the, are the right people with the right credentials on the board? Maybe not. I, I genuinely don't know, mate. I, I, I find both arguments compelling. Yeah. I really, really can't find a, a single view out of that other than maybe a mix of both probably makes more sense than not. But it, I don't know you want more more external experts on the RBA board given the places populated do, with boards. Boards are generally better the more diverse they are. And there's a, lot, right, of, there's a right. lot of good science behind that. So I, I, I totally accept that argument. I guess I just thought like if it was the board of a hospital – or of, yeah. of, of a health system. I yeah, kind of expect mostly yeah, doctors fair. and surgeons and stuff to sort of be on the board. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd probably fair. good yeah. to have some finance experience and some accounting yeah. in there and, and the rest of it. But I kind of imagine that there are people who at least been, who could tell you in great detail things about economic history and economic concepts and, you know, just core mm-hmm. things that you would need to understand. So I don't want to sort of mention sense. anyone by name because I don't, yeah, I don't know them well enough, but it just struck yeah. me as like you don't seem as though – you're the best qualified person in Australia to have a hand yeah. on the lever that influences all of us and is critical to all of our prosperity. It's a, it's a big, it's a very important, a privileged and influential um, position. It just, so I guess, I guess that struck me a little bit. The other thing that struck me too was the size of the RBA. You just talked about the um, uh, resources they have that provide advice. Mm. The RBA has 1,400 staff. It what? is a monster. It really is. It really is. Like, yeah. I, yeah. you know, obviously it yeah. can't be like 12 people who run the whole damn thing, but I kind of <laughs> thought 1,400 yeah, people? Yeah, you do wonder what they're all doing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it just, I, I guess it's just, here's another, I'm sorry, I'm just, uh, Go. these things kind of floored me a bit. Uh, <laughs> Professor Fry McKibben was in there as well, and he's mm-hmm. just making some comments. And his comments were, and this is true, right? Like you, you accept it as, as like, you know, one of Newton's equations, but this inflation yep. target of 2 to 3%, it's arbitrary. It doesn't come from any. I think it was one of a Kiwi, a Kiwi governor 40 or so years ago felt as though that was about right. And it's just gradually been adopted around the world. There's yeah. no, yeah, there's no right, specific exactly. value right. that, you know, it's definitely, if you, could, if you could wave a magic wand and say, Correct. what should we right. inflation be at? And you can have that. Would you, 2.1, 1.8, 3.2? I don't, I don't know. So it's, it's, it's very arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, is that he said, well, <clears throat> given the future potential for supply shocks, uh, from climate change, energy mm-hmm. price disruption, geopolitical events. It's worth considering the merits of different targets, such as nominal income, price level, or average inflation. In other words, and again, I'm not trying to sort of undermine the idea here, but again, yes. it re- brings you back to the arbitrary nature of it. So firstly, I'm just going to recap all of my ramblings here. Firstly, <laughs> it wasn't until 30 years ago that inflation targeting was a set thing. Secondly- uh, what- not by the RBA. Not by the RBA. Yes, say. sorry. Yes, yes. not, yes. not yes. but that's. I mean, that's that's shocking. I think to modern ears, yes. right? Yep. And yep. it's 30, 30 years isn't that long ago. The second point is is that what we measure on inflation or, or consider inflation is up for grabs. We can change mm-hmm. that. And this is a professor yes. <laughs> saying this in good faith, yes. right? And he's got a point. Yep. Like, why why does it have to be this one specific measure that yep. that we use? And and then the target that we do is is is, is arbitrary. It it just. It, it, the more I've thought about it, it's really been the last couple of years that it's just started mm-hmm. to like just slap me in the face is that <laughs> it, is, it is the status quo, but it is, it is mm-hmm. not, and I'm not saying, oh, it's terrible necessarily, but you could yeah. come up with a dozen other equally sort of plausible metrics, benchmarks, methodologies, et cetera. But this is the one we've got. And, and it, it, it strikes, it just, <laughs> it, it strikes, it, 
I guess I'd like to think, and I would assume that most people tend to think that we've got this very mm-hmm. robust system that's been operation for you know decades and decades and decades based on very, very uh, analytical science and results. And it's not, and, it, it, and it's not. So I, I'm really glad that Chalmers was, was putting forward a review of, of the bank. I think it's something that we should look at. I think it's something that we should consider. I mean, it's probably more politically motivated because Lowe made a stupid forecast and now everyone's paying for blood. So maybe that's it's a, where, where it all sort of came from. But, but again, I just want to make that point that, you know, we, at the end of the day, have a centrally planned monetary system and and the the yes. uh, the people who control that system aren't necessarily the people you would expect, and the mandates mm. and the frameworks that they operate in are, are very arbitrary. It's mm. it's curious. I'm just making the, the observation. It's curious. Yeah, I yes, I think I, I should say, mate. I don't. This is not. I don't want to embarrass you. Uh, Professor Fry McKibben is actually female. It's Renee Fry McKibben. I've just. I'm sorry. That up, apologies. So just, no, 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 no,
if those three people said something different, would Cherish Jumbo said, okay, fine, I'll do that thing instead. Yep. So I, just, I find that really, frankly, grossly um, difficult to get my head around it and be okay with because it was a three-person view. Yep. If you pick another three people, a very different outcome. Were they any more right or wrong than the current lot? No, not at all. Mm. So that's, that, that's, to my mind, really important. And then yep. the next one for me is just that, that interest rate setting board. I'm... I, I think probably your original point about having some more economists on the board makes sense. We, because you and I know that academic uh, investment theorists get it wrong so badly because of the assumptions they make, I'm far from convinced I want only econocrats on an interest rate setting board that somehow they're more expert than other people. Again, I'm not saying the current board's right or perfect. I, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I, want to, I want to state that I'm very really clearly for the record. There's a lot of shonks <laughs> when it comes to economics, 100%. And I just, like, you know, the, the efficient markets hypothesis that's been out there 50 years, it simply doesn't exist. And Buffett's proven that for 60-odd years. And yet, if you said, let's have an investment board, you'd put all of those... EMH experts in air quotes on the board and say we've got a new board now they, 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 these are the real experts not just business people like Buffett who don't know oh, what they're crazy. doing we're going to put experts crazy? on the board right so I mean, I, I'm just not sure I, I don't I'm not convinced that the change is necessary I, I don't I'm not convinced there's a better outcome I should say in, in defence of the review and of, of Treasury Chalmers the Bank of England and the Royal Bank of Can Reserve Bank of Canada do exactly this they have two boards so it's not unprecedented it's not even necessarily wrong yeah. I just think we are so caught up with the need to do something, anything. Yes. And for the politicians to be able to say, look, he is the bad guy. They were the problem. I've fixed it. You're welcome. Yep. While, as I've said so many times, they're running a massive structural budget deficit, mm -hmm. back to the fiscal policy we were talking about before. I just think yep. it's... I, 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 I want to be careful, but I don't know how in any good faith, politics aside, you can actually say... The problem is the Reserve Bank Board, not not our structurally badly imbalanced budget and or our inability to find other ways to solve the problem. When yeah. you say, yeah, all this stuff over here hidden under a massive big carpet, you know, it's a mile high, but we'll point over this at that guy and make you look at him rather than rather than our own backyard. I, I find, again, current government didn't create it. They inherited most of it from the last lot. So yeah. this is a bipartisan rant. I really, really, really struggle. The headlines will say, new Reserve Bank, new future, great changes, all fixed. And we'll go, oh, good, okay, thank you. Solve that problem, good, let's move on. I, I find that really, really, really difficult to swallow from a political sleight of hand perspective. Yep, I 100% agree. I mean, it's even more diabolical for the RBA because like, what, what are we, 2% of the global economy? I was like, maybe the Fed's, you know, you, you, you can have more expectation and then doing things. But we, we are such, you know, in the current of, of, of far stronger waters than, than what's happening domestically alone. So yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. And again, I, it's never going to happen, right? So this is purely an academic consideration and, and chat. But I, I really would go back to first principles. I've I've yet to have someone satisfactorily answer the system, answer the answer the question as to why we even need a central bank who sets the the official an official interest rate. <laughs> I, I really don't I really don't get that. We we never used to. I mean, why why wouldn't why why are we a free market system in everything except the most important thing? <laughs> Which is money itself. It just strikes me as a bit crazy. I don't know, mate. I, 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 it sounds. I think it sounds crazy because it is so out of the box. But again, yeah. let's go back to first principle. I'm just saying what what would happen if the central yeah. bank didn't exist? Well, just but I, think we didn't know, I think we know that. That's. I mean, partly we know that. That's why booms and busts have been less severe and recessions have been less frequent in the last hundred years than they were before that. I, like I, I don't. Mm. I, I take your point about the free market cost of money thing. 
But if you, I get well, if you, I mean, you can wind it back and say get rid of Keynesian economics as well, because why should governments run deficits and surpluses? Because they should let the market decide. And, and at some point, there's a, a lot of ideological discussion at the very root of it. I think I think we talk about cost of money in absolute terms. I'm 100 percent with you. Mm. In relative terms, when it's used to accelerate or break, I think it, I think it's, it clearly has a defined role which we would be worse off without. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean other tools can't be used for the same purpose, but the cost of money, we, we know. We, we, we've seen Milk Run and a million other small businesses go broke in the last 12 months because rates went up and the VC money went away. I mean, we, we know, we, we can see the effect of rates through the cycle. Mm-hmm. I think that in itself, uh, it, it's funny, you know, it, there's, there's, and then neither of these is right or wrong. But I think if you, you either can start with what should the right theory be or what should the right outcomes be? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just probably pretty firmly an outcomes guy, which is, if, if rates work, and I think they have been largely proven, you can't prove it empirically because there's no double-blind trial, I think they've been, well, shown is better. I think they've been shown to slow and uh, improve economic activity. Used correctly, that should be a net positive for a society that doesn't want massive booms and massive busts, which are more, social, back to the social thing we started with, more socially damaging no. than not having them at all. No, that, that, I, that's I, my, that's yeah, my starting point. I guess that's where I disagree. I, I would say we've had plenty of booms and busts under this under this framework. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and I would actually go further and argue that the the they're getting more severe because we we do what we're able to do via this system, which mm-hmm. is kick cans down the road. The stuff that we're dealing with now in 2023 was seeded in 2008. And that was seated in the dot com, right? Like, yeah. and and so my view is, I think we we love the idea as humans that we can control a lot of stuff and that we should mm-hmm. do everything we can to sort of minimize pain. It's like a really great starting point, right? Like, how how, how can you argue with that? But yeah. the, the the trouble is, is that the the reality of the cut and thrust of 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 capital capitalism is that there is going to be some people are going to make poor investments, some people are going to start bad businesses, and they need to fail. They need to fail. For the benefit of all of us. And if you're going, and look, what, put it one way or another, you're going to fail. You might grow to the size of Tesla before you do because of all of this perturbation of the system, but it's much better to fail early and fail small. When we have these big, too big to fail issues, these big systemic risks to glo- like just, just at the start of this year, like with Credit Suisse and Silicon Valley Bank and all of this, we have existential risks in the system because we have piled it on and on and on and on and delayed and delayed. Now, if these banks had failed when they were tiny little entities, it would have sucked for depositors, but maybe we still could have had an insurance scheme that bailed them out. It would have sucked for the shareholders of those banks, but it doesn't risk the entire global economy, Right, so it's just like I, 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 and and the argument that these are really useful tools if used correctly, mm. I agree with. But just I, I don't think they have. And when what what you really need, I think, and this is where you get really extreme, is we had a, <laughs> we had society. I think did much better when we separated church and state, and mm. I think we should separate money and state. Money money is I think at, at its foundation the the basis of civilization it's like the wheel and fire it's really up there with with that invention it allows me to to interact and cooperate with people i've never met and have no basis of trust in it's 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 crucial to everything when you start manipulating that you 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 you're tarnishing the transmission lines right like the system the information 
doesn't flow. We're going to have bad things. We're going to still have recessions. It's not like, oh, we moved to this system and it's just this beautiful nirvana where nothing ever goes wrong. We're still going to have all of the challenges that we always have because, you know, we're, we're flying through space on this rock, none of us knowing what we're doing with all these kinds of, you know, crazy unpredictable events happening to us. But I just think by starting from a good point and trying to fix things, I think we end up making it bad. And if it doesn't make it bad, it rests entirely on a very, very tiny selection of people getting it right in, in impossible situations. And so, I, I, again, it's a first principles view. It's never going to happen. Um, and we don't really have a great counterfactual to sort of argue it. But I, I just feel as though from a reasoning standpoint, from a logic standpoint, it makes more sense than, than, it, than it might seem at first glance. And I realize that it sounds crazy, but only by virtue of the fact that it's just so outside of the box. I just argue that the box we've got, we're very comfortable and familiar with because that's where it's sort of <laughs> been for all of us and our parents generate, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's that, it's that status quo effect. It's a recency bias effect. So if I was, you know, when I colonize Venus or somewhere and start my new civilization, <laughs> I think I'd do without central banks, frankly. I think I'd just get, I'd probably have some mechanism, uh, in, um, national insurance scheme to sort of help backstop depositors in case banks make mistakes. But you, you'd, and you'd have failures and you'd have mistakes, but they'd be small, more frequent, but smaller and less broadly damaging. Yeah, I'm going to absolutely take the other side of that. I, I reckon if you look back at the pre-1910 years, the, the years, uh, I've done a little bit of economic history, not, not a heap, but the 1800s were horribly, horribly boom and bust years. In fact, the 1890s recession is considered by some to be worse than the Great Depression. But because mm -hmm. you speak about living history and memory, no one, no one was alive. No one was alive now that was alive then. And, and the, th you know, the recency bias means that 30s was the focus. Uh, I am, I am again, as, as sure as you are, in a very different direction, which is exactly the point of the fact no one knows, right? And that's, that's why it's so hard. So it's an um, interesting chat if, too. If yeah. yeah, totally, totally. But if you look at the history of that, I, I, am, I am very, very sure. And again, as I said, I'll say that, not saying I'm right, because you're very sure as well, um, that we are far better off having had those, I think if you look at the last 70 years post Great Depression, right? The fact we've avoided any significant recessions of that size and shape. I, what I do agree with you, by the way, is... Um, and again, speaking of church and state, money and state, the, I'm not sure we want to give governments back monetary policy. Uh, I know you want to abolish altogether, but but if you, if oh you keep God, it, no, yeah, I agree with um, you there. Yeah, well, accept that. I was going to say accept that um, because you let the RBA governor or the central, the US Fed chair, be the bad guy, and you can do whatever you want to buy votes. Part of part of the kick in the can problem is actually that governments have said, great, he can deal with it. We'll go over here and play our own game our own way. I'm not sure the answer to the problem. The answer to the problem is actually monetary policy, right? So, your point about banks, what did we learn from from the GFC? Well, things for a few years, and then we remove regulation on on banks like Silicon Valley Bank, and funnily enough, it blew up. Mm. And you kind of think, okay, so where was the? You know, is that a failure of monetary policy or a failure of regulation or fiscal policy? And probably all all three, right? Um, but part of the problem with the separation of monetary and fiscal policy is exactly that you get. The government gets to say, you can all have tax cuts and he'll put the rates up when he does. I'm going to blame him. It's like, well, that seems pretty rubbish to me. I think that that's in my mind, ironically, and it doesn't go as far as you want it to do, but some element of, you know, a, a fiscal responsibility to match the monetary responsibility would go a long way to actually genuinely, we might know by now that you're right. Or we might know by now that you're wrong because we would have seen governments actually do the right things. That's the right point over the last 20 years. 
to avoid exactly the sort of problems we're in now. And you go, oh, it turns out Andrew was right. Or, gee, it turns out Scott was right. Because we've got governments who are doing their own thing, that makes it very, very hard. Oh, by the way, we're, we're never going to resolve this. There, there have, there have no, been very long-standing debates in the, in the field of economics for 100 years mm-hmm. over all of this stuff, right? It does, totally, and, and, yeah. and it evolves. Yeah. You know, we, had, we, had, we had monetarists and we've had you know, Keynesians and we've had everything else. By the way, the anti-Keynesian team tend to be more monetary policy than not. It's a, it's a really, it's a fascinating combination and a fascinating, and you, to your point about first principles made and starting from scratch, we're all poisoned by the status quo. And yeah. so it's, it's yeah. really, really hard. Um, it seems safer to stay with what we've got. It may be safer, by the way, because any experiment could go horribly badly. We can't do this in a you know, double-blind controlled trial somewhere in Venus and then say, if it works, we'll bring it back to Earth. We say... Let's either not uproot anything and hope it works, or let's uproot everything and hope it works. Uh, neither is necessarily safer; it's just some's more comfortable than others, right? Yep. And and there's a, there's a whole bunch of noise with you know that hides the signal as well, because mm-hmm. I, I think you you have other forces that are at play mm-hmm. uh, that, that's going to have big impacts on the economy and society as well. And so you could you could make small changes. So mm-hmm. case in point, right? So these changes that. Um, are going to happen with the RBA. Maybe we have a really great period for the next five years. Was that because of the changes or were there other things going on as well? So it's really hard to sort of connect A with B. 100%. 100%. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Capital gains tax has been mooted as something that might be changed in the upcoming federal budget. Now, at the moment, we know that if you hold no an chance for no chance, <laughs> if you hold an asset for less than twelve months, you pay capital gains tax at your marginal tax rate. If you hold it for three hundred sixty-six days, you get to pay half of your tax rate. I mean, I'm going to put some numbers on on that Go for on. you. So, I, I bought I bought some shares. Uh, yes. I spent ten thousand dollars buying some shares. I had yes. a really good year. I sold them for twenty thousand yes. dollars. Hey, well done! Yay! So I've made ten thousand dollars. Well, and whatever my marginal rate of tax is, I'm paying that on the $10,000. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that'll do. And uh, yeah, but if I hold it for more than a year, I'm only paying tax on the $5,000, half of the capital gain. Correct, correct. Yep. Or, and, and that's actually, by the way, the official, the official definition. Most people just say it's half the rate, which is kind of the same thing. But yeah. Yeah, you're right, from a tax perspective, half the gain is tax-free, half the gain is tax at your marginal tax rate. Um, so instead of paying three grand tax on your 10 grand profit, you're going to pay fifteen hundred bucks tax on your ten grand profit. Huge. If you sold it on after three hundred sixty-four days, you pay three grand. Three hundred sixty-six days, you pay fifteen hundred bucks. You yep. literally halve your tax bill by holding it for an extra day. Now, yes, there is some talk that, and and by the way, this is not this is not. I don't think this is as impossible as you do. For for one important reason, we'll get to back in the good old days or the bad old days, depending on your view. That that rate that that discount didn't exist. Instead, what happened was you were given credit for the rate of inflation while you held the asset. So if you bought that same thing for $10,000 and inflation was, I'll make my life easier, it was 10%, your cost base would be assumed to be $11,000 when you sold. And so you only pay tax on the nine grand profit rather than the full 10 grand. You were given effectively tax credit for, uh, for the inflation rate over that duration. And there is some real question about the right approach. I'm not sure at all there was any justification for the 50% discount other than it bought some votes and people liked it. I don't know that if you said, hey, capital gains at 364 days should be full freight, 366, well, obviously that's half because... Um, because um, have you ever heard anyone convincingly answer that question? The one 
thing I heard was it's to incentivize longer term investing, so to remove the more speculative. Those extra, those extra, those extra two days. Those are, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with <laughs> no, it, I but know, I'm, I'm sort just, of devil's. Uh, yeah, it, I'm it, poking it, fun at it because you know, mate. It's case in point. It's the theme of this podcast, right? It kind of it is because it is because it is because it's always sort of yes. been that way. And why now that it's gone, I'm, 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 I'm right. Again, first principles. No, there's no, there's no good reason I don't think as to why it would be now is that a good quote unquote reason for me personally yes it is and for anyone who's got assets right like it's it is it is good from that perspective but I think we're talking about it's like good from a uh, fairness perspective or, or revenue raising perspective or just 100%, yeah. yeah yeah so I and again you write status quo there, 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 there is and here's my issue I guess and by the way like this is you know Choose your politics. First thing is, most people listening here are like, but then we're going to have to pay more tax. That's a terrible idea. To which I say, sure, fine. Don't even necessarily disagree. Accept that. The question for governments to answer is, what is the right combination of collections across our economy to fund the things that we all agree we want to spend money on? So yeah. capital gains tax being higher or lower is not a, in itself a good or a bad thing. Neither is income tax, neither is welfare, neither is GST, neither is whatever. There are there are some absolutists out there who say, you know, government is theft, tax is theft. And mm-hmm. if you, you're probably listening to this podcast by now, if, you, if that's your view. <laughs> um, others out there say we should be Nordic and collect 80% tax rates and fund everything. And, and again, that's a different economic view. I don't, I'm not with that one either. Somewhere in between is the reality. So the question is simply, we run a massive structural deficit right now. We can't afford the things we want to spend money on. We can cut spending. That's a different conversation. Or we can find out find ways to, to increase the, the revenue. I just don't think you can make a reasonable case for capital gains being taxed more generously than income. I, 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 don't, I just don't, I don't think there's a, again, self-interest aside, uh, I don't think, is, is there an argument to, to tax investment gains at a different rate in your mind, mate, than, uh, than earned income? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, there are some things I find annoying where I've, I've got a certain pool of capital that I'm investing with. And sometimes I sell for the because I want to not spend it or have it, but I just want to invest yep. it somewhere else. And I always feel yep. like that's a bit sucky as a tax event because I'm not. Yeah, right. Yes, I'm liquidating that position. Yes, that is. Yeah, yeah. You, but you're but, changing. But really, I've right just right got right. a pool of yeah. capital here that I'm just yeah. sort of like sliding things around. So there, there are some aspects to mm-hmm. it that I. I don't. By the way, I've got no easy solutions for this kind of kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I I think you're right. This is, remember what happened with the franking credit debate. Yes, you yeah. know it got so emotional. And it did. This, by the way, I laughed when you first brought it up because there's no chance it's gonna they're gonna get this through. Like, zero I don't, chance. Oh, this is gonna can, get. Can I tell through. you why I think they might get it through? Oh yeah, why? Because inflation is so high. So, so so well, the old indexation system. Let, let's let's take your ten thousand dollars. Let's say you made ten thousand dollars, became twenty grand over. 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say it's a terrible rate of return just for yeah. the fun of it. All of a sudden, that tax rate, your, your cost base, you're getting a half, a 50% discount, right, in 40 years' time. Yeah. Over that period of time, inflation might have actually been higher than the gain you made, in which case you pay no tax at all. Oh, yes. So the indexation thing, because it keeps up yes. with inflation, I do actually like that. benefits... Right, well, that, and that's why I, I, I you know, again, yeah. speaking of selfishly, if you're a genuine long-term investor, not 366 days, but 3,660 days... There's a circumstance, particularly your view, mate, which is inflation will be higher for longer. There's, yep. there's a circumstance in which the true long-term investor is actually far better off with indexation 
down with this arbitrary capital gains tax. Yeah, but, I but no, you- no one is though. And, and that, that's why it's going to be politically, it's going to, I get, so I get your point. I think it, it, we always talk about incentive structures, right? This is a better incentive structure. It's not just that you get this arbitrary point, I discount at a point in time. It's like actually the longer yeah. I hold it, the better it becomes. Right. That's exactly. a powerful yes. incentive. Yeah. I, yeah. I really get it. But to say to the average voter, hey, you're going to be better off after 40 years. Like, like <laughs> might as well say I'll be better off in the year 3280, you know? Like, I mean, I deliberately used a ridiculous time to make the, make the maths definitely work. No one could argue with. But yes, I, I take your point. Yeah. I, I guess I'm just making the, the argument that you're right. People will always, and economically, we should prefer money sooner rather than later. That, that's the economic theory of 101, yeah. right? Dollar stays worth more than a dollar in a year's time. Yep. Uh, I'm just making the point that people who would, would cite even intellectually self-interest so I want the fifty percent discount. I don't know. I, I if you and if to your point, if you genuinely want to incentivize long term investing, that's exactly how you do it. By the way, you don't do it with with a fifty percent discount after one year. You say, hey, guess what? Yeah. We will look after you. We will we will cover you for inflation forever from a tax perspective. Mm. When you sell the asset, eventually, um, I personally, mate, I'm I would be I would be stoked if they, if they change this. Again, pu- public policy aside, I'd be stoked if they change it. Mm. I'm happy to hold some assets that, that you know will pay me a dividend in forty years' time. My kids can have. Mm. And if I, if I, you know, or if I'm going to sell it in 40 years' time, that, that, that I, I'm, I'm all up for this. It's purely selfishly, I'm all up for that. I think it's mm. better policy, but I also think it's better for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I add that one layer for me, though, because there's, uh, there, as much as I certainly have the intent for as long as possible, the reality <laughs> is I will be shifting things around just because, sure. you know, some opportunities come up. Others, you know, just sort of like, for me, it feels an unfair tax event because i'm not i'm not withdrawing the funds i'm just yeah, yeah. For sure. but anyway that's again if we're being I selfish and what what we would what we would prefer no it's a, it's I, a fascinating idea I, I mean it's almost it's almost you're almost back to structural then i mean to your point if you if you had it within a company structure or maybe i'd trust i'm not i'm not sure i'm not sure you're i'm not sure your view isn't wrong what what i would worry about with that policy wise is the ability to leave you know if, if you're particularly well off right now you never need to take that asset out for for you know for spending you never, never, never spend that asset, right? Um, you, you have enough income, you do whatever. That asset stays there and compounds for years, then decades, then potentially goes to your kids and their kids and their kids. It never th- Those profits never get taxed. Um, and yet you're compiling a huge amounts of wealth compared to someone who's earning money on, you know, not so minimal wage, but a decent wage who doesn't get to save much of their income at all. Um, you're, you're generating massive amounts, seven, eight, nine figures of, of compound wealth. Uh, and, and you know the person working is paying thirty five cents in the dollar. That's the bit I, I kind of struggle with. I think they, they could say, "I'm not going to spend that money. I'm going to waste. I'm, I need it for food. Why should I pay more on tax for food that you're going to you know not get to take out and reinvest uh, and, and generate even more wealth?" I think from a uh, inherited inequality is my biggest long term concern economically. I have to say across the board. I'm not saying I don't know have a solution necessarily, but. You know, if, if you save well and I save well, I think you and I are reasonably good wickets. We hope to leave some money to our kids, or at least I do. Um, they're going to get a better start than the person who's not able to leave money for their kids. Take that forward another generation, generation after that. I don't know. It, it doesn't strike me as the right, the best way to create a sustainable long-term society if we don't take some of that inherited wealth or compounded investment gains uh, out to help fund some of society's costs. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I benefit from that, by the way. If if, if I'm right, I, I you know if, yeah, I can actually save money and, and give it to the kids. I'd be far better under under your proposal, which is I'm just shifting assets around. I should be taxed on. I'd be I'd be far 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 better off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's also <laughs> arbitrary, isn't it? It's not none it of it's going to happen. I, well, I don't. I, yeah. I'll go on. Well, I was just a bit in the, in the closing minutes. Let's let's not mm. go into a Bitcoin conversation because it'll go for another half Good. hour. But I I Excellent. did want to 
get your opinion on what Apple did this week. Did you see the news exactly that they- where I was going to go. go well, they, they partnered with Goldman Sachs. They've now got a savings product, uh, an account. So you can, yeah. with Apple, yep. by the way, there are 2 billion active device users out there. Yeah, yeah. One in four people on the planet have an Apple product or an Apple mm-hmm. phone in, the, in, their product, uh, in their pocket. Yep. Okay, so yep. that's, that's interesting. Now, yep. uh, I'm, I'm going to take it from a US perspective because it's only available in the US at this point in time. Mm-hmm. But if you put your money in a bank, uh, you might get half a percent on your savings. Yep. I'm talking about your what, what they call yep. checking accounts. They call yes, we've, yes. we've got a different terminology for it, but yeah, just your yep. day-to-day yep. transaction account. Yep. Um, that Apple is saying there are no fees, there's no minimum deposits, mm-hmm. and there's not even a minimum balance. We're going to give you 4.15% on your savings. That's 10 times the national average. Oh, by the way, these, these deposits are FDIC insured. Now, why is this fascinating? Well- it's sort of died down a bit, but we've had all of this drama at the start of the year was basically a flight of capital with depositors withdrawing their money. Now you've got a system where I've just got a thing in my pocket already and I can transfer some money there and I'm going to get 10 times the interest and I'm going to get all the transaction services and everything. This is uh, this did not get a, as much news as it, as it should have. And then you've got to ask yourself, again, you think it right through and it's like, wait a sec, well, what's... What's Apple going to do with all of those deposits? Is it going to get into lending? I don't get it. I think long-term, probably, yes. I mean, Mm. and I'll come back to that point. But think about it right now. The federal funds rate in the US is 4.75 to 5%. So here's what I do. By the way, Apple has $5 billion on its balance sheet, right? No doubt. It's a monster. It's a fortress balance sheet. So by the way, I'm doing this because I want everyone to come and more people to come into my ecosystem. I want to get into banking. I've, bank, uh, tech's been trying to do this for, forever. Um, and, and all I'm going to do with the deposits is just lodge it with the Fed. It's the safest. It's, it's like, yeah, it's one of the, it, it's, I was going to say the safest there, but I had to catch myself. But it's one of the safest, <laughs> it's one of the safest um, places to quote unquote invest it. It's just held on reserve at the Fed. And they're still making a margin on that. It's the classic Bezos play. Your margin is my opportunity. Banks can't, banks cannot lift their, cannot match that offer without most of them going out of business. So we've already oh, got yeah, a capital flight with everything's moving yep. into money market funds, yep. which is just these yep. managed funds that give you give you access to treasuries and, and uh, et cetera, and the highest ra- higher rates that are offered. Already happening. Yep. And that's that's probably more at the uh, uh, commercial corporate kind of sort of level. But now you've got retail with this kind of thing as well. It's just sort of like, mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah, we can sort of, as old fuddy-duddies, think about whether that makes sense. <laughs> I guarantee you a 20-year-old who does everything on their phone already and doesn't blink yeah. twice. So they're just like, correct, correct. Apple, I know, I trust them. The deal's mm-hmm. uh, you know, miles better. Why am, I, why am I going to a bank? So th- th- they, uh, I, yeah, anyway, I think this is the first mm. serious crack that we have had of Silicon Valley that, that, that poses a, a genuine lo- longer-term risk to the banks. Mm. It's a pretty big statement. I think statement. that's right, mate. <laughs> I, no, I think you're right. I, I, have, I have a couple of different thoughts on it. I, I think we are seeing the continued growth of the new railroads in terms of monopoly power. So my, honestly, my first thought, I'm not an Apple shareholder, but I'm an indirect shareholder through Berkshire Hathaway, which I own. Um, I, I find this deeply troubling from an economic perspective because Apple is paying you more than they can afford on your savings to buy your business. 
Now, no, you made not, the plug. not more than they can afford. They, they can afford more than, more, sorry more than more than they can justify purely from the banking operation. That's cross subsidising the interest rate with their corporate profits. Right? Uh, no, I'd so, but 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 I'm I'm getting four point seven five on deposit at the Fed, and I'm only paying you four point one five. Yes, but they couldn't operate that business as a standalone business. If Apple operated Apple Bank, oh, I see what you're there's no chance in hell they could fund 4.15%. I see what you're saying. So they are, they are cross-subsidizing the banking product using the um, using their current ecosystem, their current businesses, and their current customers. Ah, uh, yes. I, I, and I, yes. Yep. while you're right, and, and maybe maybe at some level, particularly given your, your thoughts before about central banking, maybe that's not a problem. Uh, but I, I have a, I have a very significant. So, for example, Berkshire Hathaway itself is not allowed to own more than ten percent of a bank, mm-hmm. without being regulated as a bank holding company, mm. right? Apple gets around this by using Goldman Sachs yep. as the bank holding company, and they get to suck up the business from others. Now, I don't really care whether Apple wins or someone else wins. I don't really care whether banks go to business as traditional banks and get replaced with something else, except for the impact it has potentially on two things. One is financial stability. The other is the use of this sort of monopolistic power. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic, probably with a tendency to be uh, slightly negative on this as a, as a societal good. Now, again, it's not pro anti-Apple, pro anti-banks. I have no love loss to the banks. I don't own any shares in the banks. I don't really care what happens to individual banks, but I do care about the solidity and otherwise of the banking system. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I will ask frankly, I'm not sure the FDIC should be insuring a bank account run by the Goldman Sachs, given what Goldman Sachs is, is largely an investment bank, not a retail bank. And, and that's, you know, on and on, on we go. What we've said before in the past is, you know, the Australian banks avoided the GFC's biggest impacts largely because they weren't trying to be too clever by half. Goldman mm-hmm. Sachs, on the other hand, the vampire squid, as was called at the time, was deeply, deeply, deeply involved in this. And so I don't know, again, not say they're bad business people, made a lot of money for their, for their shareholders over time. I don't know, mate. I, I great for great for depositors, great for Apple app users. Uh, you get four percent, knock yourself out. If I was going to be in charge of the regulatory settings for the world's a competition policy, b banking policy, I don't know. I'm a big fan, mate. I, I'm not sure that I don't. I don't care about the disruption of the bank system in itself, as long as it's replaced by something that has similar or better levels of stability, security. Um, uh, you, you know the. <laughs> Frankly, I've got, I've got a solution for out. you. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you have. The, the ability of the FDIC to pay out relies on not too many crises happening at the same time and being able to con- restore or, or retain the faith of the individual yeah. depositors. And so far, that's okay. Um, look, people use, you know, the other thing, by the way, I would bet that this doesn't stay at 4.15% forever. No. If this is a it's like the cheap, rate, Uber, the, the cheap Uber rides. Right. right. And so, you, again, I. I, 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 I I just don't know. I don't know what it means for competition policy, man. I'm not sure that I want the. And I'm a Google shareholder, right? I don't want Google doing this either. When you say I've got the app, I've got the phone, I've got the bank, I've got the credit card, I've got the whatevers, these become the new, you know, antitrust concerns. I'm I'm reasonably convinced over the next twenty years, we see these big guys broken up by regulators who look at the impact on the control. I mean, Apple controls the app ecosystem entirely, right? There's a second one. On Google, but really Apple's the one that where the money's made, right? So, you know, how much control do you give them over competitors, suppliers, customers? Uh, I don't know. I, I I'm I'm agnostic to negative about what this means broadly 
for the economy and for the safety of cash. Is that too negative of you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you assume that they're going to be less prudent with the deposits under their care. Um, maybe not that's, necessarily just they're not regulated accordingly. Well, I think that I think that's the yeah that's the uh, look. This is if this Apple is had the, the Apple Bank and the Apple Bank was regulated as a, as a plain vanilla retail bank like the US. Yeah. Um, and it had the same degrees of you know whatever uh, regulations applied to it. And, and Goldman Sachs has, so I'm not saying there's no difference here except that Goldman Sachs isn't paying the 4.15. I bet you. Mm. Right. Apple Apple's Apple's tipping in to make this work because they can. You've actually got to take even another step back here. It hasn't mm. been fascinating because with all of the disruption that tech and the internet has brought us, mm. it's up, it's mm. completely upended the media landscape. It's completely upended retail. It's completely upended virtually every sector and industry in the economy. Yet the big banks today are the pretty much the same big banks pre-internet. Why haven't they been disrupted? And it's yeah, always yeah. been something that... Yep the big tech firms have coveted because there yes, is a right. mountain of money in transactions and payments. Look yeah, at Visa yeah, and MasterCard yeah. are just some of the most powerful businesses on the mm-hmm, planet mm-hmm. and most profitable businesses on the planet. They want some of that. Why haven't they been able to do it? Is, is, is Google incapable of building a better payment experience app? And of course not. There's, there's something else going on here. Yeah, and the, the yeah. truth of it is, I mean, just like, I think, just by inference, you can say, well, there's obviously some very big moats at play for the banks, mm-hmm. mainly yes, regulatory, correct, correct, correct. also yep, cap- yep. capital barriers that are also there, but they have this privileged access to the underlying sort of payment rails. Mm-hmm. And and to be fair, the banks have have actually developed, I mean, I use ComBank, the app's pretty good. You know, I'm not saying it's terrible and big tech could, could do better, but it is just noteworthy that they have avoided that. And I feel as though that was always something that wasn't going to last forever, particularly if some of those regulatory barriers become less, uh, less high. <laughs> and, and yeah, this yeah. just struck me as a bit of a early foray from the world's biggest, is it? I think, or at least, you know, one of biggest tech, biggest company for, I was going to say biggest yes. technology yes. company, biggest company, uh, biggest company. Yep. full yep. stop. Yep. That is not a bank. Yes. I think this yes. is. I think this is a noteworthy milestone in. in oh, I, that's absolutely true. I you know? completely agree. Now look yep. at Twitter uh, as well. So, so Musk is, is forever cryptic as he is, talking about the X dot com <laughs> domain name and, and what's called yeah. the Everything app. And you know the big, the big, um, uh, not so secret secret is it's all about moving into payments. <laughs> he wants it to be more mm-hmm. like. WeChat, you know, where it's sort of like, yeah, okay, it's a social experience, but I can also send and receive payments. I can also set up a store. I can also do this. It's just like, again, literally the everything app. So and he's, yep. he's basically said, that's what, what I'm going to do with Twitter. And so you've sort of got Apple paving the way and I think they will do it. I, I think that it's going to be a very, very interesting um, development as how this all this I evolves. I think yep. ultimately it's good for the as long as the government regulations are sort of sensible here. Mm, mm, um, uh, I think it's going to be good for the consumer because the banks, yeah, they, the banks, the bank. I you give the bank that unsecured mm, loan, and they make yeah. a lot of money out of that. And I, I feel but as they though don't really, mate. I guess that's my like. I given the I, I reckon the tech companies are mad to want to do this stuff. Now Apple's smart; they're making the bank take on the cost, right? <laughs> this is if you genuinely be a bank company, the banks in the banks are here make a net interest margin of less than two percent, right? And and that's and the return on assets for Australian banks is much higher than overseas. I I reckon Apple and others want to be really careful what they wish for. Like it's large quantums of money because there are a few of them. 
But let's say let's say we triple the number of banks in Australia. Maybe the interest margins go down by what half a percent max. Yeah. yeah. Like the, I, I just don't I just don't think the money's genuinely there. If you want to make a lot of money banking, you've got to be massive because the margins are tiny and the risks are huge. I don't know. I I I get they they see this pool of cash and go, oh, what's all that money? The margins are so incredibly, incredibly, incredibly. Yeah, small. but it, you've already answered it though. It's 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 it's, it's why uh, a calculator is part of every phone app. Like it's not what it does in and of itself. It's the mm. aggregate value it puts onto the platform and the device. So yeah. a mobile phone is really cool because I can make calls and without using a landline, that's really cool. Now I can also send instant messages. Now I can also do this, I can do that. It's a yeah. classic meme of a desk from the 90s with all this stuff on yes, it. And then right. there's, another, yeah. there's another picture of a phone, like all of that has collapsed. All the Tandy catalog. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's all yeah, collapsed yeah, onto yeah. the phone. So Apple yeah. is taking a big picture view. I, I read you. I read you loud and clear, and I think you're right. It, it is. This is this is the thing that banks need to worry about because they they oh, they, yeah. they have this profitability, and that's what they do, right? Mm-hmm. And and now you've got another one here. Is like, actually we can afford to do it on much slimmer yeah. margins, and we're actually happy yeah. to make not have the same exact unit economics in this one segment of our business because what it does is aggregate mm-hmm. holistically to the whole. It is. It is now we are just ten times more stickier. Now it's already all, all yeah. always on our phones, and now there's another yeah, reason to, right. to be with you know using an Apple or an Apple product. It's yeah, yeah, yeah it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, what, once once you've got cash in the Apple bank, you're not going to probably move to a Google phone or, or whatever else. And it's all as you say. And like for them, 100%. I, I guess I don't know. I still, if you can make Google, Goldman Sachs or Westpac or CBA or Wells Fargo take the risk on the banking thing, and you've just got to refer the customers for a, for a cut of the fee. Then there's zero downside for the for the tech companies. If that's what you're doing, then I guess you're right. There's there's no there's no harm in it, and maybe it is super sticky. I look, I, don't, I mean, I don't really care. I guess at the end of the day, what they're currently doing is exactly what that is now. You use Apple Pay or Google Pay now. Yeah. You're using a device to connect the bank account. You know, the fact that it's an Apple bank account or, or a Goldman Sachs or a CBA bank account probably doesn't matter much more than yeah, from just, a consumer perspective or from a regulatory perspective. You're just but a it's just part through. of that ecosystem, as you say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it, yeah it is. But this is, it's I branded, mean- It's branded Apple, but it's not even really- Even at a smaller margin, is it is about. still a margin, mm. as long as it's positive and accretive. I just think it's yeah. better. It's like we're facil- I'm using my Google wallet where I've got my Visa card loaded up into it, but it's yeah. just it's yeah. just the portal through Correct. which I- Correct. Like yes, the, exactly. the wiring behind that, exactly. by the way, is insanely complicated. But, yeah. but, but yeah. it's like, well, why don't we just- cut out the middleman here why don't we yeah. what you know why are we just the middleman here in fact why don't totally. why don't we be the end the end source yes. anyway do you it, not worry at all about the monopoly power of, of of these kind of new everything apps i don't know i, I, I said i'm a google shareholder right I'm, I'm not this is not me kicking out oh there'll be antitrust to, yeah this kind challenges of thing, right? but, yeah, yeah. I, but i almost i almost feel like that's the, the, the irony is the closer they get to that, the more likely they are to actually be you know, sowing the seeds of their own breakups. Like at some point when the everything app, whether it's Google or Apple or Tesla, Twitter or sorry, Tesla, Twitter or something else, I, I don't know, at some, point it, at some point it is the end of its, it creates surely its own destruction because someone says, hey, why should Apple have all this control about all of my stuff? Yeah. Uh, shouldn't, they be, shouldn't they be excluded from running a banking product and or shouldn't the app store be different from the phone different from the os different oh, yeah it's a whatever. healthy discussion that needs to happen and will happen absolutely but let's yeah. say you do let's say you go to bigger than ben hur well you're already bigger than yeah. ben hur, but bigger than ben hur yeah. times yeah. 10 and yeah. then you get broken up and you still yeah. you still got you know you might have been sort of a score 10 and now you're you're, you're there's <laughs> two entities with score five yeah, each it's yeah, still yeah, like yeah. the value is still being created there I, um yeah i that's right i guess if i mean it only matters it surely if you are 
the one who owns the bank accounts. I mean, you're talking about the monopoly of the banks and the concentration. Apple using Goldman Sachs doesn't fix anything. It's just it got, it's just Goldman Sachs account, right? With it with it with a pretty Apple picture on the front of it, you mm. know, slapped on the front and jizzied up, and and someone like Tim Cook saying, "Hey, come and try my new product." Or Google does it, and yeah. they use Wells Fargo, and you know, Afterpay does it and uses Westpac or whatever. I mean. I'm not even sure. It, does it actually make a difference in the in the end? I mean, it's just a different distribution network for the same existing incumbent, surely. Well, you know where I'm going to go, man. I, I would say there is yeah. a there is a third path, uh, but that's let's save that for another day. But but under the current environment, to your point about the concentration stuff and the disruption, I, I'm I'm actually arguing it's not that disruptive. I suppose. I think uh, until, uh, yeah, until, yeah. until until Apple decides to bank its own money, or Google decides to open Google Bank and actually it's a subsidiary of Google. If all you're doing is the pastor, it's like mortgage brokers with the banks, right? They didn't really, the mortgage brokers didn't help anybody. You know, Aussie Home Loans and Wizard were different for about three years. Mm. Then they got bought by the big guys. All the brokers do is say, let me be your marketing department for the existing players uh, and send just as much business as you used to get yourselves through us because that's how we're doing it. That, that, that's, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure it's as disruptive as it appears until those tech companies start to actually keep the cash on their balance sheets. And that's, I think, because someone else will line up with someone else, right? Google will now do a deal with Wells Fargo and someone will do a deal with someone else and someone will do with someone else. And then you kind of, you know, they'll, they'll change banks as soon as they want to. So Apple will say, well, hang on, uh, NAB's can be a better deal than, than Goldman. NAB, you can have Apple business now. And yeah. I don't know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering whether for all the excitement, we're just seeing a different, different version of the same model, which is the same people with the same banking relationships with the same margins who just use different distribution platforms yeah i guess that's where i differ i think it where it, okay. it i think where it does is it shifts it shifts money more into the pocket of goldman sachs slash apple and away yeah. from more traditional deposit services from, right, okay. from those banks i think and i think that's does it, does it, does it make more concentration rather than less though if that if that is true yeah i think that's yeah, always if, a risk i mean that's close, that, that okay. is already i mean that's been the shape what has happened in the u.s is that all of these smaller regional banks have had just deposit flight and they are all yeah. concentrating to the big ones because the big yes, ones yes, don't yes. have a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fdic insurance cap they have an unlimited insurance cap so when you're a megacorp you know limited you you put your money there, right? And now I've got even more reason. So that deposit flight is already happening. It's just adding to that. And I think yeah. I just think it, it's not something that tomorrow yeah, is fair. vastly different from yesterday. Yep. Yep. But I do think that it is it is another step on that journey towards some mm -hmm. a sector that has been incredibly resilient to tech disruption. I think there are some maybe some cracks in the wall appearing. Yeah. No, that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. Hey, mate, we've probably overdone it. Would you like to come back on Sunday? And have yeah, a let's chat? do it for sure. For sure. All right. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.